Welcome to ING's Think Aloud, where we try to make sense of the world in the most unbanky way we can. In today's episode. If there's one thing I know about this Prime Minister, he's a fighter. And he'll be back at the helm, leading us through this crisis in short order. Britain's Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab is deputising for Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who remains in intensive care after his coronavirus symptoms worsened. The reaction in financial markets has been muted, but the news adds another layer of uncertainty to an economy which is already suffering from an almost complete shutdown of activity. I'm Rebecca Byrne and I'm joined by ING's developed markets economist James Smith to find out what lies ahead for the British economy. So James, the news about Boris Johnson is obviously very worrying, but for the UK as a whole, the chief scientific officer has said that we're beginning to move in the right direction. And this is kind of consistent with what we've seen in other countries across Europe, which is why perhaps some, like Austria, have started to raise the prospects of exiting some of the lockdown measures. But it looks like here in the UK, we're still pretty far away from that, aren't we? Yeah, I think the UK is at an earlier point in all of this than, say, Spain or Italy, who fortunately now seem to be past the peak of the epidemic. UK scientists reckon that peak, so when we talk about that, we mean probably the most virus-related deaths per day. That's probably likely to come in the next week or so uh, in the UK. So unfortunately, there's likely to still be some further sad news ahead. So back to your point about exiting the lockdown, the UK is clearly a little way behind some of the other European countries that are looking at their exit strategy. Um, This is probably more of a story for May. Right. Now, you've described the response by UK Chancellor Rishi Sunak to all this as quite bold. But at the same time, there's been some criticism that maybe some of the measures aren't happening quickly enough or that some of the help isn't getting to the people who really need it. Well, the UK, as you say, has been pretty quick off the mark in terms of the economic response. We've seen an increasingly diverse range of policies, all targeted really at keeping firms afloat. So that's things like the job retention schemes. We've seen other things, similar schemes in other parts of Europe designed to pay part of the wage bill for staff that are being furloughed, loan guarantees for smaller businesses and a myriad of other things as well. And most people reckon these have been pretty well thought through, particularly given the short notice. But don't forget the the onset of the economic crisis has been very rapid here. We've all seen that shocking chart in the US where jobless claims are spiked by around 10 million workers in just a couple of weeks. Well, the last count, the authorities over here in the UK were saying that a comparable figures just shy of a million workers applying for unemployment benefits, uh, which puts the unemployment rate in the ballpark of about 7%, not much below where we were in the financial crisis. Clearly, that could rise further. So that means getting the new government cash to the right place quickly is going to be really key. And what you've got to remember is some of these policies, particularly that job retention scheme, it's not really been tried and tested in the UK before, unlike other parts of Europe where this is already part of the toolkit. So the real challenge is less about ambition. It's more about the logistics and the implementation. Well, there seems to be another problem, which is that people and businesses don't want to borrow right now. So the supply of loans and the help may be there, but how do you get people to to borrow money and invest? Yeah, so going back to that job retention scheme I mentioned, firms will get 80% of the wage bill for most furloughed workers, but the cash won't get to the firms until the end of April. So the idea is that companies need to tie themselves over until then. And for for some firms that are shut, having cash flow problems, that's quite a long time to wait. So just honing in on, on the issues for smaller firms, 
The idea is that you make use of the state guaranteed loans to plug the gap. But there's some early evidence that this isn't happening everywhere at the moment. The British Chambers of Commerce interest, uh, released an interesting survey where they reckon just 1% of the companies they spoke to had successfully accessed that loan guarantee scheme in the first week or so. Now, why might that be? Well, partly it might be because many of the smaller firms taking on extra debt still may mean making personal guarantees. So that's quite a lot at stake although the government has admittedly since announced some measures to to kind of uh, avoid that from happening. And the more general point is that these loans, whether they're state guaranteed or not, the money's still got to be paid back one day. And many firms will be wondering if these shutdowns or containment measures are here to stay for a while, do they really want to be loading up on that debt? So many firms, therefore, unfortunately, may still be inclined to make some structural changes to their business operations, which, of course, is what the government is trying to avoid. The Bank of England has also uh, stepped in trying to help by cutting rates. And like other central banks, it's embarked on a round of QE. Are you expecting anything else from them or are they pretty much done now? Well, like the government, the Bank of England was very quick to act. Rates are now at 0.1%. And that's effectively as low as they can go. The Bank of England isn't really a fan of negative interest rates. And that QE package, £200 billion of extra government bond purchases, some corporate bond purchases, that gives them quite a lot of room to manoeuvre for the time being. So on these two main policy tools, the bank's effectively all in for the time being. So actually, some of their other programmes are probably more relevant in the meantime. And in particular, a lot of people are looking at this commercial paper purchasing scheme. So just to give you a bit of a flavour, commercial paper is a key financing channel for many larger firms. And all the evidence suggests that uh, as the crisis unfolded through March, that market really dried up as buyers um, fled. So what this Bank of England programme does is restore this funding channel for corporates. And in turn, the hope is that reduces the need for these companies to draw on what are called revolving credit facilities at the banks for their shorter term funding needs. Um, and this is a global thing. We've seen similar programmes from the Fed in the US, CCB in Europe. Um, and in the case of the Fed, the hope is that this and some of the other things they're doing should help restore some calm to LIBOR into bank rates over there. Uh, going back to the, the Bank of England scheme, though, one of the current concerns is that the scheme is only really open for investment grade firms. So the bank is encouraging firms to seek a rating if they don't really have one to kind of increase openness. There's still a segment of firms who probably don't qualify for that Bank of England scheme, but equally are too large for some of the other government measures aimed at smaller firms. So despite the best efforts, there will unfortunately still be some firms that will fall through this safety net. So given these measures that we have, which are maybe going to help some companies, but not others, what's your projection for the UK economy in terms of growth? Presumably, we still have a big dip, huge dip in the second quarter. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'll be honest, this is a bit of a how long is a piece of string exercise. But as an estimate, we reckon the UK economy will probably shrink by around 10% from its pre-crisis, pre-virus levels, I should say, across the first half of this year. And most of that is in the second quarter given that lockdowns didn't really kick in in the UK until latish March. But probably the more important thing when we're looking at the next year or so is we don't really see the economy fully recovering, at least for a year or two. And that's partly, as I mentioned before, because there are at least some businesses who are unfortunately not going to come through the other side in the same shape. And therefore, some workers, too, who unfortunately will suffer a longer period of joblessness as well. So there is definitely going to be lasting damage from the coronavirus and the measures to contain it. We've already seen companies like Debenhams, for example, go into administration. Just give us a sense of what is the long-term impact for this beyond this year. 
Yeah, well, a lot is clearly going to depend on how we emerge from all of this, the lockdowns. We know from the press that there's a really intense discussion going on at cabinet level now about how these lockdowns should be unwound. And the problem is there's no simple answers to any of these questions. In the UK, a lot of hope's being placed in these antibody tests. So these are the ones that see whether you've had it before, had the virus before. At the moment, major governments are still struggling to find a test that's sufficiently accurate. But assuming that's overcome, um, some are talking about potentially passporting workers who've had the disease to go about their daily life. But that's obviously going to be controversial. If nothing else, it's going to be quite hard to police. And of course, if it turns out that only a small percentage of the population have had the virus anyway, then the economic gain might not be that huge. I guess another thing we could see is a system of local lockdowns on and off where localised outbreaks emerge. But again, from an economic perspective, that will make it very difficult for uh, firms to plan. And as, we, as we've seen over the past few weeks, these kind of shutdowns aren't necessarily sufficient to stop the virus spreading elsewhere anyway. So I think actually what we're probably most likely to see, not just in the UK, but globally, is a real ramping up of testing capacity, contact tracing. So authorities have a much better flavour about the spread of the virus over the coming months. And as we head into the winter, hopefully can manage that transmission curve without resorting to full-scale lockdowns. If that works, what does that mean for the economy? Well, we're assuming we get some bounce in growth in the third quarter on the basis that there's at least a portion of the economy that should be able to switch back on again fairly quickly. But businesses will remain very wary about their operations until it becomes clearer that the virus threat has gone away completely. So as I said earlier, the recovery will be slow. The other thing, a bit of a broader point, is that you know consumer habits will undoubtedly change after this crisis. I guess for a lot of firms in the service sector, this is like one big flexible working experiment. And for things like air travel, which is the obvious one, we may not see a return to the same kind of levels we saw before the virus if lots of people, people have discovered working from home is, is just as easy. So there'll be plenty of changes along those lines as well. James, before the coronavirus struck, the focus was all about Brexit, wasn't it, in the UK? And now a lot of people are wishing that that was all we had to think about. <laughs> Where do we stand on Brexit? Is it still going to go ahead at the end of the year? I know, all those nights last year glued to the TV watching Parliament seemed quite a long way away. Those, those were the days. Anyway, mm -hmm. just to recap, the UK is in a transition period now. That will last until the end of this year. Nothing really changes until then. And the timeline to get a trade deal agreed in that period was all looking already looking pretty tight. Um, now, for the time being, negotiations are kind of plodding along in the background, at least not in person, but over the phone. But most now think an extension to that transition is looking pretty inevitable. Don't forget, if there's no trade deal at the end of this year, there will be some supply chain problems. And you can imagine if that comes at the same time as another winter outbreak of the virus, yeah, it could be very problematic than a, a sort of no trade deal scenario had already looked for the economy. So an extension we think is pretty likely. It's now more of a question of, I guess, stage management. Uh, the government has until June to agree such a delay, um, assuming they're prepared to sign up to budget payments for that for that extension period. I think probably it would last for two years, but it might have some kind of mechanism in there to, to shorten it if both sides reach a trade deal earlier than expected. OK, James Smith, ING's Developed Markets Economist. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot. This podcast has been prepared by ING solely for information purposes, irrespective of a particular user's means, financial situation or investment objective. The information does not constitute investment recommendation, nor is it investment, legal or tax advice or an offer or solicitation to purchase or sell any financial instrument. Read more at think.ing.com slash content dash disclaimer.